0: You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church.
1: Our teaching text from today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Morning, church. What a morning we have had so far. I have to say, I'm feeling a little stage fright having to follow all those children. Um, that was amazing. And in the 10 years that I have been participating in the last church, uh, this church, this is the first pageant I've ever seen. And I'm so proud of all our kids' ministry team. I'm also feeling very grateful that I get to do this and not wrangle all of those children to do that. Uh, because just getting my four out the door was quite challenging. Uh, my name is Jenny if we haven't met I'm the associate pastor here. I know that some of you are probably visiting because you had little ones involved in the pageant. We're so glad you're here. We're really happy to have you with us. And on this our last Sunday gathering before Christmas, I want to take some time to bring our Advent series to a close. And we've been in this teaching series called The Prince of Peace. And we've been tracking people like Simeon and Anna who encountered the long-awaited Messiah to see what we can learn from their stories. And today, given that my oldest girl was Mary in the pageant, it it seemed appropriate that I should share a few words today about Mary. Mary what we learn from her, and how we can live in our individual seasons of uncertainty and waiting with hope, peace, joy, and love. So our teaching text, as you just heard from Patrick, is Mary's song from Luke 1. This is the hymn of praise that Mary declares in response to being chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus, the long awaited Messiah that all of Israel has been waiting for. And we're gonna dip into this text together, but unless we know the when and where of how it fits into the story, we might actually miss out on a lot of what I think Mary has to teach us. I'm sure you're all pretty familiar with picture perfect Instagram shots that look like this one. <laughs> and when I see these, especially if there's multiple children, I always want to know what happened right before and right after. Because I just know that in my life, when I try to create a beautifully serene moment like this one with Livy, um, inevitably the right before, right after shot looks like this. <laughs> This is my hair being pulled out from the roots by a small child with a surprisingly tight grip. And I kind of feel similarly about this song of Mary. Without the before and after, I think we can write it off as being this glossy picture-perfect moment that feels far from, removed from our reality. It can cause us to feel disconnected or even like a sense of failure that some of these photos sometimes bring us for not being able to muster up the same level of poise. And so whilst I wanna look at the song itself, I'm actually more concerned with Mary's posture and her responses in the lead up to this song, because I think they will provide us with um, with some stepping stones or signposts on her journey that brought her to this place of joy and peace and trust, a journey that we are also invited to make. So the first very important detail to note is that Mary does not erupt into this song immediately after receiving the news from the angel Gabriel that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. In fact, we're told in the scripture that when Mary first hears the news, she is greatly troubled by the angel's words. This word troubled is diatarasso, which means to agitate greatly. It's actually the only time that this verb is used in the New Testament. Mary is not just a little bit worried. She is greatly disturbed. This news could cost her everything. Her reputation, the man she is betrothed to marry, perhaps even her life. So how does she get from there to the teaching text we just heard? What is her process from being greatly troubled and agitated and disturbed in verse 29 to glorifying the Lord in song in verse 46? Well, when Mary asks the angel, "You know, how is all of this going to happen? I'm a virgin. The angel responds by talking about the supernatural power of God. And as a means of confirmation to Mary, Gabriel tells her about another example of the supernatural power of God in the life of her cousin, Elizabeth, who despite being old and barren, has miraculously conceived. The angel concludes by saying that no word from God will ever fail. Now, Mary's response gives us the first stepping stone, if you will, on her journey. This is what she says, I am the Lord's servant. The word Mary uses here for servant is doula, which is the word for a female slave. Interestingly, it's the same word that our word doula is derived from, someone who cares for and attends to a mother in her birthing process. This is an expression of submission and surrender to God and we can't underestimate the cost of these words of submission for Mary scripture says she's betrothed to Joseph and a Jewish betrothal involved two steps the formal engagement which included a contract and the exchange of a bridal price and then the wedding which usually happened a year later So this is no simple matter for Mary. She's being asked to bear a child as a virgin without being married. It's very likely that she's gonna become the object of doubt, ridicule. She may be accused by Joseph of being adulterous, an accusation that would lead to divorce or worse. Mary is willing to prioritize surrender to the Lord over her fears of the historical and cultural stigma of conceiving outside of marriage. In Ignatian spirituality, this would be called holy indifference. It's a relinquishment of control. It's a grace-filled state of desiring to do God's will and to praise, reverence, and serve God more than desiring anything else. It is a way of Mary saying, I will lay down my rights. I will lay down my reputation. I surrender my fears and questions and uncertainty in recognition of your greatness. Mary is humbly surrendering her life and all of the possible outcomes into the hands of God, saying yes to whatever difficult circumstances await her simply because God is God and she is not. She humbly recognizes that she is not the star of the story. In our culture, I think we can really easily cultivate an attitude of entitlement, treating God more as one that we can negotiate with, rather than almighty creator of the universe and everything in it. Mary recognizes who she is and who God is and she doesn't get those two things mixed up. The second thing she says is this, may your word to me be fulfilled. This is an expression of hopeful trust. She's not saying, great, fully understand everything you're asking me to do. All of my questions are answered. All of my doubts have been eliminated. She's not saying I have the full picture. I have this guarantee of happiness and security. She's simply saying in the midst of my questions, in the midst of my fears, in the midst of what I don't know, I will declare what I do know, that God is true to his word, that God keeps his promises. I don't know how he's gonna do it, but let it be so. Last week, Mackenzie talked about why we all resist waiting. It confronts us with our limitedness. It exposes our illusions of control. We don't like to wait, and she is absolutely right. And yet, how often have you walked the streets of New York City, stumbled upon a long line of people waiting, and been tempted to join it, even if you're not exactly sure what it's for? Last week, Libby and I were walking along Oak Street in Greenpoint, and there was a long line of people curved all the way around the block, and she said, Mom, why are all these people waiting for tacos? And my only response was, because they're good. The truth is that we are willing to wait sometimes if we are guaranteed to get something good. Mary knows the truth that whatever awaits her circumstantially, the one she is trusting in is good. So she declares her trust, not in circumstances being easy, but in the faithfulness and worthiness of her God. Right before our teaching text, we're told that in response to the angel's words, Mary immediately hurried to the hill country of Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth. This would have been a three day journey of about 80 to hundred miles and demonstrates the third step that I think moves Mary towards the song of joy she immediately acts in response to the word of God. Mary hurries to obey where God is taking her. She moves herself in the direction of the promise. She follows the word of the Lord and it leads her to discover that at least half of what the angel said to her was true. Her barren cousin is miraculously pregnant. And if this part is true, then she can count on the rest of it also being true, even when she doesn't yet see the evidence of it. Now, as I've sat with this chapter, something interested me, which is always cool about scripture. I love that you can read something that you've read a hundred times and stumble upon something that feels brand new. In verse 24, which wasn't in our teaching text, we're told that after uh, becoming pregnant, Elizabeth spent five months in seclusion. She retreated into solitude. She withdrew from the crowds and the community, presumably to create a safe and sacred space for this miracle baby to grow. Not to mention that her husband, Zechariah, had been made silent throughout her whole pregnancy because he disbelieved the angel's words to him. I don't know if you've ever spent five months in seclusion. Anybody? Um, I certainly haven't, nor has my husband been silent for an entire pregnancy, Um, but I (laughs) I know that when I have withdrawn in extended periods of silence and solitude, I have become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And it made me wonder, how attuned to the Spirit of God had Elizabeth become after all that time? What heavenly whispers had she overheard? What wisdom had she received from God? Now enter Mary. Just picture this moment after five months of silence and solitude and seclusion in the home of Elizabeth, Mary walks into the sacred space. And this is what happens. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary finds community that confirms everything the angel has told her. Like the angel as Elizabeth greets her young cousin by telling her that she's highly favored. Blessed are you, blessed is the child, blessed are you who have believed. Now cue Mary's song. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me what? Blessed. This is the moment that Mary fully recognizes her own blessedness. She uses the same word that Elizabeth has repeatedly used to describe her, now Mary is naming it for herself. Not only did Mary come to a place of surrender, not only did she make an expression of hopeful trust, not only did she act in obedient response to the word of God, but the final step towards her song was that she went where her faith would be fortified among people who were also living into the mysterious promises of God. She put herself around those who might build her faith, who would identify a name and celebrate her place in God's story. And their words of faith for her would enable her to name it for herself. This song of praise is often called the Magnificat, uh, because often in some translations, instead of my soul glorifies the Lord, we read my soul magnifies the Lord, and Magnificat is the first word of that in Latin, which I will not try to pronounce. But I love this use of the word magnify in this text, because the truth is that Mary's situation hasn't changed. All of the painful outcomes are still possible painful outcomes. But she chooses to magnify the Lord. When we magnify something, we make it bigger. Instead of allowing the potential problems to take up the capacity of her imagination, spiraling in all the doubts and questions and what ifs, she allows her imagination to be filled with the truth of who God is. She magnifies his word, his character over the problems and difficulties that might await her. She acknowledges in the song, God has been mindful of me. He sees me, he knows me, his eyes are on me. His loving favor rests on me, humble as I am. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. In the middle of her uncertainty, she rests in the certainty of who God has been in the past, who he is right now with her in the present and who he will be in all of the tomorrows that she will live. A major theme in the first two chapters of Luke, which we've already seen um, through the lives of Anna and Simeon as Carlos and Mackenzie brought that to us, is that God does what he says. His word does not return to him empty. Rich is the blessing that comes to those who believe in him and who partner with him in that reality. Although Mary's song starts with personal praise for all that God has done for her, it gradually spans outwards and speaks of God's faithfulness to his covenant um, commitment to the entire nation of Israel. And in reality, this song is not just Mary's. Mary's hymn is a story not only about herself, but about all those who fear God and are the objects of his mercy and grace. It heralds a call for all of us to remember and rejoice in God's gracious activity in our lives, to humble ourselves before his awesome works, and to live in trust that he will always be faithful in accomplishing his redemptive purposes. I was talking to a friend this week, and saying that in some ways I I think our lives are like these giant beautiful finely detailed tapestries but the reality is that more often than not what we see of this tapestry is the reverse it's where all the work is is visible and sometimes a bit ugly and messy the behind the scenes the part that looks unfinished And every so often, I think we catch a glimpse of the way that God is weaving all of it together into beauty and order and redemptive goodness. And I think Mary's song of praise is a bit like that. She hasn't caught the whole picture, but she's caught enough of a glimpse that she can rest and trust that God is doing something good and beautiful that she doesn't fully yet see, but has the privilege of participating in. So we've talked a little bit about what happens before Mary's song, what, what happens after? Does she just you know sing the Magnificat and walk off into the sunset full of faith, never to doubt or be scared or disappointed again? Well, she's thrust into the journey of you know, going through all the uncertainties of labor and delivery and nursing, the newness of parenting. Not only that, but last week Mackenzie talked about Simeon and when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple for the purification ceremony, scripture says that they marveled at the things that Simeon was saying about Jesus and who he would become. They were in awe. Scripture tells us that Mary stored up all of these things like treasure, pondering them in her heart. But just as Mary is marveling at all the wonderful things she's hearing about Jesus, Simeon addresses her with these words This child is destined to call the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. In the space of a few verses, we once again witness the tension that this young woman has to hold, the marveling and the mystery. And isn't that so often the reality of our lives? I remember uh, before we moved to the States just about 10 years ago, one of the elders from my church came to pray for me, you know, sending us off with blessing. And he says to me, Gemma, I feel like your time in America is gonna be marked by the words of this old hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, God has taught me to say, "It is well, it is well with my soul." And I remember thinking, "Dude, couldn't we just send me off with peace like a river? I mean, who wants to hear sorrows like sea billows roll when you're going off with the adventure of a lifetime with your husband?" But these 10 years have been filled with more sorrow and waiting and wrestling with God than I could ever have anticipated in that moment. And yet, through that, I have also experienced a peace and an intimacy with God that I could also never have anticipated a decade ago. Just as Mary was holding the tension of the beauty and the brokenness, she also held in her arms the tangible reality of the personhood of Christ. And I have waited and lived in the tension of magnificence and the mess, like all of you in this room, the glory and the grit But when we know the reality of the personhood of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace waiting with us in the tension and discomfort, we learn how to hold joy and sorrow and pain and promise at the exact same time. Tim Keller says this, if you love Jesus and have him in your life, a sword will pierce through your heart as well. There will be inner conflict, sometimes confusion, sometimes great pain. But if you go through suffering and put more trust in him, you will find a kind of indelible joy, strength of character and power that can come to you in no other way. This kind of fight can lead to immense peace. Mary's journey towards the Magnificat is that fight towards peace. The Magnificat is not easy praise, it's a sacrifice of praise, it's costly. It might seem like that glossy picture-perfect image, but there's work behind it that we must acknowledge, work that we are also invited to do. And the work doesn't end with the Magnificat either, it's the same journey that she continues to walk all the way to the cross and beyond. Surrender, trust, obedience community. And wherever we are on our journey this morning, we, like Mary, are invited to declare my soul glorifies the Lord in the midst of it all. As we break um, for this holiday season, I actually want to just remind us of a spiritual practice that I believe helps us to cultivate an ability to rest in the midst of mystery And it's actually the practice of Sabbath. This is a practice that we are committed to as a body. And if it's new to you, please come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk about Sabbath with you. Or you could look up the the Good Way resources on our website. We have a, a whole week where we talk about the practice of Sabbath. But the word Sabbath literally means to stop, to cease. It's a day blessed by God and set aside for us to rest and contemplate and delight And the practice of a weekly Sabbath isn't about resting once we've got everything done. It's about choosing to enter into rest in the midst of the unfinished. The weekly rhythm of Sabbath confronts us with our impulses towards completion. It cultivates the virtue of humility as we learn to live with the frustration of inconsummation, resisting the temptation to prematurely resolve The painful tensions of our lives. As we see in the life of Mary, the way of Jesus means surrendering to the way of vulnerability, which will always involve learning to rest in the tension of the unfinished. So as we enter the next couple of weeks where where many of us will have an opportunity for extended rest, I want to invite us to intentional engagement in a practice of Sabbath. In the absence of some of our normal rhythms, let's be mindful of the practices that help us stay connected to God and to community. Let's use this time as an opportunity to abide with Christ in the midst of all of our waiting and wondering, to choose to trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God. This year, we've created what we call a table liturgy for Christmas Eve. We won't be having a Christmas Eve gathering in this space, but we wanna encourage you in your homes, gather with a roommate or friends or, or some of your family members, invite them to do this with you. Maybe make a meal together or just take a break from your preparations and sit and reflect on the incarnation of Christ. Emmanuel, God with me, in the midst of everything I'm going through, God with me, in the midst of even being in difficult family situations that some of you might be facing in the next little while. We have printed copies at the back for some people who might want to take them with you. They're also, it's also up on the website as well. But as we move towards Christmas Day, may we each receive the Prince of Peace afresh. In this moment, exactly where we are, in all of our befores and our afters, may we allow his indwelling spirit to move us towards joyful response. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. I'm also gonna invite, if you're on the prayer team, we'd love you to go to the rugs already. But I wanna invite us this morning into a time of just lingering in God's presence, naming where we are, none of us finding ourselves in that kind of picture-perfect Kodak moment all with a story that has led us to this moment and one that will go with us afterwards. But we have an opportunity to just be together and to receive the Prince of Peace afresh into whatever we journey with this morning. Maybe today for some of us is about surrender. It's about relinquishing control, saying yes to God's redemptive purposes in our lives. Maybe today is about expressing hopeful trust. And for many of us, maybe that will be more like the the father in the New Testament who came to Jesus and and Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, well, I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Sometimes that feels more real to me than anything else. Maybe today there are some of us who need to courageously move in obedience in the direction of something that God has already said but maybe it's been difficult to do. Maybe today you need to get around people who will believe for you, whose faith will fortify your faith. All of these are possible for us today. There are members of our prayer team who are gonna be on the rugs and I know that any of them would be so happy to pray with you, to pray that you would know the Prince of Peace in the midst of whatever situation you find yourself in. And I want to invite all of us at some point during our response to take a moment to use these words of Mary, to declare praise, to glorify God, to say, God, I will magnify you this morning. Above everything else that's going on, I choose to magnify your word, your character, who you are yesterday, today, and forever. And I will stand in the tension of it all. And I will say, my soul glorifies the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm just going to invite you, why don't you just close your eyes for a second. We're just going to put out our hands just openly before God, just saying, God, I'm here in this moment. You know all of the before and after. You know where each of us finds ourselves this morning. Lord, you know how hard it is for us to relinquish control. You know how hard it is, Lord, for us sometimes just to declare that hopeful trust. But I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, that even now your presence... Emmanuel, God with us, prince of peace, prince of wholeness, would you come? Would you fill us with your presence? Would you meet us exactly where we are? And would you bring us on that journey, Lord, where we could say, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Your mercy extends to me today. Lord, we celebrate your coming. We celebrate who you are, your goodness and your kindness and your faithfulness. And so as we worship, I just want to encourage you, if you would love to receive prayer today, please move to the rugs to our prayer team. They would love to pray with you. And in a few minutes, uh, Ryan's going to lead us to the table as well. But just let's worship and glorify the Lord together as our Prince of Peace.